Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points, and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend. Welcome to the Love Rugby League podcast, talking life and league for 45 minutes or thereabouts every week of the year. One big in-depth feature interview each week with one of the biggest names in the greatest game and all the big issues as well dissected by the Love Rugby League team. Download us on Spotify, Apple and do please leave a review as well and all the other major podcast providers and make sure to follow Love Rugby League on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for exclusive news and features from right across Rugby League. You can find us online at loverugbyleague.com. This is the Love Rugby League podcast. Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com. Welcome to this week's big interview, a weekly look at life and league with one of the sport's biggest names. And this week's guest is uh, a man hoping to deliver the best, the greatest, the biggest rugby league World Cup event ever. And it's imminent. It's very imminent. So let's say hello to uh, the chief executive of the Rugby League World Cup, John Dutton. John, hello. Thanks for coming on. And how are you, first of all? Hello, George. I'm very well. My, my absolute pleasure to be part of the show. How 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 are you, and how have the last I was going to say few months? How's well, however long a period as it seems? How has it all been in a nutshell? Oh, it's been an incredible long journey. Uh, personally, um, I've been working on this project uh, almost for seven years. Uh, so from day one inception to when the trophies are lifted, uh, exactly seven years, um, and it's been a mixture of everything. It's been thoroughly enjoyable. I always regard myself in a privileged position. Uh, last year, I know we can explore what happened with postponement was pretty devastating personally. Uh, but yeah, no, we're full of excitement. Uh, yesterday was two months to go exactly. So it is coming into sight really quickly and definitely a, a mixture of a bit of apprehension about what's ahead uh, in the unstable world that we live in. But more so than anything, just massive excitement for getting to the start line in England versus Samoa on the 15th of October. Does it feel a bit surreal all the time? The energy, the sleepless nights, the money, everything that's gone into this. You're two months away and then you'll blink, five weeks will be gone. It's like, wow, that's done. <laughs> yeah, I've just, just been talking this morning just to some of my teammates who've been with me for um, not quite the same period of time, but certainly four or five years. And we, we're talking about, this is going to be over soon and a sort of mixture of um, we can't wait to get to the start line. Uh, I want everyone to enjoy um, what it brings and it will bring challenge and then it will be over. Uh, but this is what we signed up to, George. It has a start, it's had a middle and we are now nearing the end. Um, I, I just, 
for me, I don't think in my career I'll possibly ever be involved in something where I've been there on day zero and I've framed um, the, I've been the architect, um, we've built the house, um, we're about to decorate it and move in and um, pop open the champagne and invite guests into the house. So um, it's been an absolute privilege, it's been tough uh, and it's been really challenging, um, but I am a massive passionate fan of the sport and I think that's really helped um, sort of put this into perspective. Yeah, it's been it's been fascinating watching the journey and all the unexpected challenges that that you've had, as well as the ones you would have predicted and, and expected. When we look where we are now, we're recording this podcast, like you say, two months before before the start. What what are the biggest tasks that you've still you know what's top of your to do list at the moment? What's what's the current you know your main your main focus right now? Probably it into two buckets. First of all, is to operationally deliver 61 games across 21 venues over five weeks. We're welcoming 32 um, teams, 20 different nations, the most diverse playing population ever to assemble in the sports of rugby league. But we've got to get away and deliver that. Uh, we need to, at all times, be credible. We've seen what's happened with the Women's Euros and the Commonwealth Games, which were fantastic. We've seen people really get on board and enjoy those and we want to be the next cab off the rank and deliver those in a world-class way and the second bucket very much is about ensuring the stadiums are full that we've sold the tickets that we pledged to sell at a time of hardship for some people uh, never has there been a more challenging economic environment to add to the many challenges we've faced um, but they're the two sort of big challenges and just to keep the team we've got quite a small team when you look at the Commonwealth Games uh, big budget uh, big teams and big challenges um, we've got the big challenges but without the big budget and without the big team and uh, I am surrounded by super talented people um, and people who are absolutely invested in making this a um, enormous success. Uh, so in terms then of the nuts and bolts of the, the, the filling the stadiums I remember sitting down with you right at the start of the journey you got the government back in and you're like right I've got to sell all these tickets um, so where are we with that what's the latest kind of update that, that you've had and what, what you've sold? Yeah, we announced, um, I think it was last week, uh, lost track of time, uh, but a quarter of a million tickets uh, that have been sold. Um, our next target is to double that number and double that number really quickly uh, to reach half a million tickets. Um, I think we've got two, we've got three targets. The first target is to surpass what happened in 2013. And we remember 2013 fondly, 476,000 people came along and enjoyed that tournament. So that's the first target that we need to go past. The second target is we want to better what the women's euros did which was about 570 uh, and then the third the final stretch target is to get to three quarters um, of a million um, we have been bold and brave since the start um, and we sort of reached the first milestone we shouldn't forget uh, George and we talked about this previously that in postponing the tournament we stood by our full refund policy and we refunded an enormous amount of tickets so that um, that hurt us at the time but that was the right thing to do so we've had to build back from that uh, but we're in a really good place we want to start with a sellout at St James's Park I think that really is so important to get the tournament underway again live on the BBC a game that I can't wait to see two incredibly strong uh, teams followed by Australia versus Fiji in the evening and if we then go to the other end the book end uh, of the finals uh, a sold out Old Trafford and then everything else in between we will um get the momentum of that start the world will be watching um international rugby league so special uh, and i just can't wait to see the nations arrive the players um get on the field of play and create that unscripted drama that we just haven't had from an international perspective for some time uh, and and just just on the on the tickets we won't we won't dwell on this but just remind me the initial target when you know the government gave you the backing it did was that the 750 yeah, it's 750. I, I, I think when we were bidding, we, we looked at a number of, uh, of a million. Um, when we did our venue selections, that isn't possible. We haven't actually got enough seats. Yeah. Um, that 750 became the, uh, the sort of the big target, and we still have that um, in our sights. Um, obviously, the world's changed, and the world's changed enormously. Uh, but having sellout stadiums, having the visibility on the BBC, having new people come and enjoy the experience, having the rugby league community who have looked forward to this for so long get the opportunity to watch the world's very best athletes. Um, but it's really important that we sell the tickets and none of that's ever changed. That's always been our biggest challenge. Uh, we are different to many other sports um, in the sort of sellout nature that other sports have that rugby league uh, really hasn't had. 
but this is a wonderful opportunity and I keep uh, sort of seeking support from the rugby community and wider, get behind this tournament because I think this is once in a generation opportunity, I really do, uh, and that's why it's been so important to stay calm through postponement and rebuild and get to the position that we, uh, we're in now. Uh, just one one quick final one on that then if, if if you don't and i don't want to be negative if if you don't hit that target you're not going to be in trouble like the government aren't going to come back and say right well we gave you this money for that and you haven't you haven't provided will will they get it will they understand or will they say well why why have you why have you sold us a bit short there look the, the government have been tremendously supportive um on as it's the 5th of september we will be on our fourth prime minister <laughs> and that, shows the, that shows the length of time of the, the gestation and sort of delivery of this uh, tournament. But the government have been tre tremendously supportive. That they are um, certainly um, increasing the pressure on us to make sure we're doing all the right things. The level of oversight of assurance um, is, is incredible, George, but it's the right thing because at the end of the day, we've got a large amount of public money. We're also generating our own money uh, and we've done incredibly well commercially, bringing in 15 brands, uh, Vodafone as one of our latest partners. So, so we've gone out as well as the government money and of course ticket sales will add to that revenue. So there is no end of pressure, uh, but I think we're managing it in a very calm way. And quite rightly, that level of scrutiny um, is is accepted because it's the right thing for the investment that we've got. Uh, what about you then, John? I I look at you often, and you know I've known you a, a good number of years, and think, why on earth would you be doing the job that you're doing right now? Because every day looks ridiculously stressful. So what 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 is driving you to do this? Oh, I, I'm a pretty determined character, uh, George. But I, I think the things that drive me, uh, one, I I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, my job. I am in a privileged position. I was born, uh, brought up in Lee. Um, I, rugby league has been a massive part of my life. I'm 49 years old, went to my first game when I was five years old. So rugby league has been an enormous part of my life. So I'm working on the world's biggest rugby league tournament. So that is a privilege. Uh, but I like challenge. I, I like challenge. And some of the challenge has been maybe not quite what I expected uh, when I first signed up to this. I, I, I think the sort of uh, analogy we use is when, when we did the plan for this in 2015, um, Brexit wasn't a part of it. We thought that was going to be a big deal. Um, we arrived at Buckingham Palace feeling pretty good about ourselves, did the draws on Prince Harry's last formal engagement. <laughs> Two months later, the pandemic came around. We were still pretty convinced we'd stage our tournaments. Then postponement came. We've got war in Europe for the first time in our lifetime we've got a cost of living crisis none of those were in the plan but we had to be agile and nimble and um i regard myself hopefully as a as a pretty decent problem solver and, and i like problems uh, and i like resolving them um and I'm, I'm enjoying and i'm urging everyone not just on my team but in the sport you know let's just enjoy the journey gosh this has been hard to get to it we're not at the end but let's just enjoy what's ahead because i, I think we will see just brilliant rugby league i think we will see new people um, rise, uh, new stories. We've got some wonderful human interest stories that are yet to be told. And all of that, if you like the sport, well, gosh, what's not to get excited about by that? Thinking specifically about the time around the postponement and you've outlined professionally what a, and financially what a, what a blow it was, but I'm just thinking more, more personally, having invested as much as you had into that and to, seeing, to see it being taken away through no fault of your own as well. How... how tempting or perhaps the wrong word how, how close were you to thinking you know what life's too short I don't need this I'm going to let someone else take this on I'm, I'm just going to walk away now while I've got a chance yeah pretty close uh, to be honest um, for a number of reasons the first was that we were ready uh, we wouldn't you know in hindsight's wonderful thing we're going to deliver a better tournament there's no doubt uh, about that but we were ready we could have delivered the tournament we'd have invested so much work um and to get to that point after five and a half, six years um, of work was truly devastating. And there was a point where I thought, I I've done everything I can, I, I can't do any more. So perhaps it's the right time to pass it on to someone else and see it through. And it was just a period of reflection, going away for a few days with my family, uh, talking to uh, people that I surround myself with. Uh, and I thought, gosh, I've come this far. Stop feeling sorry for yourselves. There's lots of uh, hardship in the world. Let let's just dust ourselves down and let's get on. And that period was tough. We lost 60% of the team, 60% of the workforce. So a lot of people 
around us for various reasons. Um, we had then to renegotiate, I don't know, 150 different agreements in a short space of time. We had the most complicated schedule ever. We had the FIFA World Cup we've got to navigate through. But I think I relished then the challenge. Once I decided, it's just ridiculous to feel sorry for yourself, just just get on with it. Um, and I, I once again, enjoyed the, uh, the challenge of putting it back together. And, you know, the thing I said to everyone, we haven't succeeded, so we shouldn't um, celebrate. Uh, we should celebrate the wins along the way. Our social impact program is the thing I am most proud of. Uh, I think having £25 million worth of new investments into the sport that wouldn't have been there had the World Cup not come around, working with our partners at the RFL, I'm so proud of that. Uh, and they were sort of the things that um, kept me and I guess also my love um, of the sport. Uh, so um, I won't bore you with the details, but yeah, pr pretty close to um, just handing it over to someone else. Um, but once I found my energy, it probably took, probably took a week or so, George, found my energy um, and go again. And I, I am full of energy now. I've had a bit of a break with my family, come back. Uh, yeah, just can't wait to get stuck into the final, uh, the final few yards. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your, your kind of family and your friends and your close circle have been like with you and what they might have advised you through all of this. My circumstance is very different, but whenever I've, and I've had, you know, kind of nightmare spells at work, as you will know, and, my, you know, my advice has always been from my partner and my family is that you can always just walk away, just do yeah. something completely different. And it, But in terms of the rugby league side, what keeps me here is I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't leave the sport. I just yeah. can't do it. Exactly the same, George. And I have a wonderful supportive family. So I, I go and still, I've been to, I think, every home game bar one this season of my, of my team, season ticket holder with my youngest son and my, my dad. We've been doing that uh, with my dad for the last 45 years. So that, that's part of my life. Uh, but it, it was really my wife who simply said, Gosh, you can't walk away. You've come this far. And um, by the way, I quite like to go to the games and uh, enjoy it. So um, yeah, just really supportive. But I, I've worked in professional sport now for 27 years. Again, had just an incredibly privileged career. Um, and I think th this was always the highlight so far. Hopefully there's a bit more of my career to come, but just, you know, it, was, it would have been unthinkable then to, to walk away and to leave that work, particularly at a time where I still got something to offer. And uh, hopefully uh, I've put the hard yards in, we've all put the hard yards in. Will we deliver ultimate success? Um, what will happen on the field? We can't control that, uh, George. So our mantra is control the controllables, Stay calm. We're going to give you everything we've got. No stone left unturned. We are relentless with our energy. Um, and who knows, that work might just pay dividends for something, an incredibly special moment for the sport. Uh, taking your, your professional hat off and your, your family hat off then and just putting your, your rugby hat back on or your Lee Centurion shirt on or your England shirt, whatever. Your brand new your English shirt that looks like a Scotland shirt. I should ask you about that. <laughs> I'm, dressed, I'm dressed in blue today, George. Yeah, I know that's right. Um, what um, you know? What are your thoughts as a fan looking at, at at the tournament at England? The strength of the competition. I mean, you you must love, but oh, but but, yeah. but England wise, that's quite daunting, right? It, it, it is. I mean, let's not forget we've got three uh, tournaments, and I'm equally excited about um, all three. I think if you look at the men's tournament first. There is a revolution that is happening 12,000 miles away in Australia. And from an international perspective, that is tremendously exciting. When players are sticking a hand up and choosing Samoa or Tonga, what happened with Fafita and Tamalolo in 2017 was the start of that. And it's a tidal wave. And what that will mean is we start off with, I don't know, potentially five men's teams who legitimately, based on the selections today, could lift trophy and I, and I just think that is super exciting maybe a bit daunting from an England perspective but we, we start off with potentially the game of the tournament between two incredibly strong nations we've got then a repeat of that semi-final from the last two tournaments between Australia and Fiji I'm really looking forward to and um, might just be because Lee also have three Papua New Guinea uh, players in the team I'm really looking forward to seeing Papua New Guinea I think Papua New Guinea will be a force to be reckoned with. Um, and of course, Australia, New Zealand um, will turn up incredibly strong. So I think from a men's tournament, there's so much to look forward to. The story of Greece, and I think Greece, we're starting to see player declarations for Greece. Steve George Alice, um, who's working at North Queensland Cowboys, has done an incredible job. And I think that they will turn out, not just a competitive team, but from a diplomacy perspective, look at some of the work that's helped them legitimise the sport, which we don't have to do that, but the World Cup has helped legitimise the sport in Greece. 
Um, so from a men's tournament, um, so much to look forward to. From a women's tournament, Australia, undoubtedly the Gillaroos will start as the standout favourite. We know that New Zealand will be strong, but gosh, don't underestimate England and the work that that team uh, have done. I think they will be ultra competitive. We'll see them start against Brazil. England, Brazil in any sport, George, how exciting is that? And we're going to have it in rugby league. Um, and then from a wheelchair perspective, I think England, quite rightly, will start as joint favourites alongside France. And if, if people keep asking me, what, what's the one thing I'm looking forward to? I always say to, I'm looking forward to St. James' Park. Can't wait for that. But the wheelchair final at Manchester Central, an iconic venue where we'll have about 5,000 seats sold out um, for that final. And if we close our eyes and think, what would... Uh, we want that to look like the two best nations going head to head in a cello crowd in a wonderful iconic venue in the centre of Manchester. I think that's pretty special. Yeah, I'd say to, to anyone listening to this uh, or watching this and who, who hasn't experienced wheelchair rugby league, that would be one thing I would say, do it, because it's like all the ingredients of why rugby league people fall in love with the sport in the first place, all in a, a game that you might not have seen before. It's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, a couple of specific, couple of specific ones. Um, you, you mentioned kind of the expansion of the islands, but also heritage players now looking at playing for England. Are you all right with Aussie accents in the England squad? Victor Radley is a great player. Chris McQueen's now put his hand up as an England fan. Are you all right with that? I'm not sure it's for me to um, determine yes or no. I, my, my take on this is if players are eligible to play for the heritage nation, they are eligible to play. And that's the same in any sport. So uh, we're, we, as a tournament, we want the world's best players, uh, which shirt, shirt they choose to uh, put on is entirely down to them and to uh, their nation. But, you know, let's just maybe when we come back in 20, 30 years time, we go back to what happened in 17. And maybe in 17, Tamalolu and Fafita's decision was the transformative moment in terms of making sure um, we see the world's best players uh, at the tournaments. And I, I have no doubt that we will do that uh, across all three tournaments. Um, bit of a left field one. Coventry's pitch, is that a worry? Because that's... It's, that's and it's, is it hosting, correct me if I'm wrong, hosting one match, isn't it? Is it the Australia-Scotland yeah. game? And Australia-Scotland on, on, on a Friday night. I mean, gosh, look, the pitch doesn't look great at the moment, does it? Well, they've um, not been able to play football on it so far. It looks a right mess. So that is, is that something you're worried about? It, it's just added to the list of uh, challenges that we face, but uh, we're very grateful. We're working with uh, the owners at Coventry. We've had a great relationship. The City Council have been fantastic. Um, we've got an opportunity after the Commonwealth Games as well to have a footprint uh, in the Midlands, which I think is important. So, look, I'm sure we'll overcome uh, the challenges uh, and obviously continue to work closer with all the partners in uh, in Coventry. Co Coventry, overall, if you think about the demographic makeup of the tournament, we, we, we received a significant amount of government money to play the majority in the north of England. And it's not what I would say is a stereotypical rugby league north of England. We're going to cities, we're going to new towns. It's really exciting. London is exciting from a copper box and an Emirates perspective, but then we've got that game that is the marquee game in the middle of the country. So it is an important game and I'm pretty confident that we'll all work together to make that success. Has there, has there been any kind of con contingency plan that you might have to, I don't know, change a date or venue or will it be there and we'll just try and get the pitch as good as possible? We, 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 we're absolutely planning on that um, at Coventry on that day, on Friday night, um, welcoming Australia versus Scotland. Contingency planning across the tournament, George, uh, on a tournament that is so complicated and on an uncertain world that we live in, uh, we've got a number of different contingency plans and, and, and that's just as you would expect from any major global sporting tournament. Um, just one on the international landscape then, as a, as a you know, passionate rugby league fan, do you, obviously you're committed to this tournament, but the calendar as a whole, to, to, to grow the sport that, in the direction that everyone wants it growing. There's got to be more of that, hasn't it? It, it can't just be four or five weeks at the end of the year. We, we, we need a, I don't know, this is my opinion, we, you know, we need a drastic rethink to try and move more international rugby league in, in, into the calendar. You know, as one of the key figures in the, in, the, in the international game, where are you on that? Yeah, look, the calendar has been um, the Achilles heel for the international uh, game. I think we have to start with the landscape. There are, all, are only two professional leagues in the whole of the world. Um, and, and that's just that's the way it is at this moment in time. Um, but there needs to be more international rugby league. The athletes, unlike other sports, are not centrally contracted. So the athletes are the employees of clubs. Uh, and that's one of the reasons for going out to 
Australia recently was to sit down and go in some detail with chief executives and owners in Australia. But I think that international rugby league needs a tournament like this to be the catalyst for transformational change, more regularity, a set calendar that can happen. And I have so much admiration for Troy Grant as chair of the International Federation. Troy is a force for the good and wants that change to happen, but it can only happen in collaboration with colleagues at the RFL, Super League, um, and of course the NRL. And I, I think it just feels like this is the moment in time where a breakthrough will happen. And then if you're a sponsor, if you're a broadcaster, if you have private equity investments, you're able to say, if you've got a calendar, you can start to invest in the long term rather than be more hand-to-mouth, which the sport internationally, unfortunately, has been. Uh, rugby league fans are an interesting bunch and, you know, we, we all crave change, but at the same time, we're probably resistant to it. Um, I, I don't know if you'd agree with that. Do you think we've been our own worst enemies in a way? It's like we want rugby league to be this global sport that everyone talks and cares about and hopefully, you know, this tournament that you're overseeing will be the platform. But at the same time, Part of us doesn't want that because we want it to stay as our little secret. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, we, we, we perhaps are the problem then as rugby league folk because we don't want anyone else near our, this is ours, go away. Yeah, at the same time, then, you know, we get, get stubborn and resentful that people have been looking at other sports and not our own. Yeah, look, I, I have to at times remind myself, George, I, I can be a fan when I go and watch my team, but for the rest of the time, I'm a professional sports administrator <laughs> and try and divorce the two. Um, what, what are my thoughts? It's obviously, it's complicated in terms of the business economics. You know, we, we all want more or we all think we want change and when the change happens, then we might not quite uh, like it. Um, we are different as well to other sports. The, the, the comparison to rugby union infuriates me constantly rugby league and rugby union are two different games yeah. with wonderful athletes uh with wonderful sports within their own right and there should never be any comparison between the two and that that really just frustrate me rugby league is a sport born on the 29th of august 1895 in huddersfield that has been transformed that has gone on a journey there is still room for improvements across the whole of the sport how that happens, ultimately, the business economics um, will dis define it. I, I think the um, work that IMG are doing, uh, I think the coming together of Super League and the RFL is a huge step in the right direction. I think all of my conversations with the NRL, that they want to come to the table um, and they want to be part of the conversation about the future. You've got a chair of the International Federation who is forward thinking and has that outlook. Will all those challenges be resolved by simply delivering a brilliant World Cup? Of course they won't, but I think that is all a step in the right direction. So we, we, we crave, I think we are so passionate as fans about the sport that we truly love and we always want the best for it. We might disagree what we think the best thing is, uh, but I think that there is. this is a moment in time when we have a chance to make a difference. And I think that, going back to the last question, why, why did I stay 12 months ago and commit to uh, seeing this through to the end, I, I think I can help. I think it can add some value in delivering my part of uh, a small bit of the history of uh, the sports of rugby league. Do you, does it frustrate you? And we, we've talked about this before, and I think on a previous media call, I asked you about the, the Nadine Doris gaffe, which I won't ask you about again, but, you know, in my, in my when I worked at Five Live, whenever I got rugby league on the radio, it turned into a conversation, like you said, about rugby union because that's all the other presenters knew. And they yeah. knew that pe more people would be interested if, if, if there was a comparison. Let's do a phone in union versus league. It's, like, it's got nothing to do about it. And then, yeah. you know, all the work that you've been doing, Nadine Doris said something a little bit, a little bit stupid. And suddenly that's, that's the biggest day of PR activity that the tournament's probably had. And you must be thinking, come on. <laughs> and, and if you look through some of the ingredients um, of that, rugby union, People might say is part of the establishment um, and again the way it was the way that that sport was born and it hit its journey from um, amateur to professional what, 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 what we're a sport that's headquartered in the north of england we're a sport predominantly played in the north of england there's been incredible expansion ideas some um, that have been successful as that haven't we just have to work harder, George, than anyone else. Um, and that's been part of the deal for us, to go to London, to see every sports editor uh, at every national newspaper, to do the same in the regions, to be relentless and work hard. And we just have to work harder than other people. I accept that. I would love it to change. 
but we will only change by being relentless and getting on and actually delivering something. So I, I think sometimes we also need to feel, stop feeling, feeling sorry for ourselves. The, the reality is, you know, we've, we've got a sport that on the field, there isn't much that you can pick fault with. We might disagree on refereeing decisions or whatever, but the, the athlete, athleticism, you know, I, I go back when I, when I first started watching the sport in the late seventies and you look at the athletes then compared to the athletes now, and they are largely incomparable some of the skill level might be um comparable but we've got a different sport we've got a sport now where there are more challenges uh, particularly from a um concussion perspective from a head injury perspective from all of the things that probably need much more careful thought and more due diligence around player welfare we've got now a women's game that can go uh, to places that it's never been before we've got a wheelchair sport that i think when people see it presented in the way that we're going to present it people will really get on board and that will again go to new places. We've got physical disabilities. So we have so much to be proud of, George, as a sport. And I think at times we probably need to galvanise uh, some of our frustration, our anger about how we think we've been treated poorly in other areas and actually get behind and use it to make a difference and be more accepting of perhaps utopia. Perfection doesn't exist and perhaps we will never get to utopia. So um, my new favourite phrase is we, we will be perfectly imperfect and I am more than content with that. Yeah, that sums up rugby league quite well. Um, I'm, I'm conscious we're running out of time, but a couple more. Do you get boosted by seeing what other sports are doing? You mentioned the Women's Euros, which was a you know a fabulous success, but also, you know, I live around the corner from the Old Trafford Cricket Ground and, you know, the other day the 100 was, was on and there were families queuing around the block and, you know, the bright sunshine helped. They've started from scratch with that, you know. They just this thought up this concept, and suddenly, yeah, that's a family thing to do for whatever reason. So you can see what's possible. Absolutely, we we spent 2019 in particular. We travelled the world extensively to go and see other sports events. Went to the Rugby Union World Cup in Japan and um, various other things. Absolutely, we can learn from other sports. I think what what's happened in cricket, what's just happened with Women's Euros, what's happened in the Commonwealth Games, RF Force for the good. I think the one the one differential is events. Events are really special because they bring people together. We have the tribalism of whoever you support, Leeds United, Manchester United, Liverpool. You're sort of born into that and that's the tribal element. And we've got that drumbeat every week during the Premier League season. The same with the Super League season. But an event is a special moment to come together and look at things that we've not seen before, have experiences that we haven't experienced before. You know, how exciting is it to come and watch some of the Pacific nations, the Cook Islands, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, to think of watching a team from Brazil play in a tournament. And I, I think we've seen elements of that in the Women's Euros, obviously England's success, which made a huge difference. Um, and then in the Commonwealth Games, a sort of proliferation of different aspects um, of athleticism and different sports. And I think our event is probably that and hopefully a little bit more. And that's why if we love the sport so much, we're proud of it. Now's the time to get behind it and give it our very best shot. A couple of final ones then. Have, have, uh, have you got yourself an England kit? And do you understand some, some, of the, <laughs> some of the fans' comments about it looking like a Scotland one? That was quite a brave call, wasn't it, the, the colour change? It's Bob, Bob, one of our values is bold and brave. We obviously had nothing to do with that, but I, I, I applaud uh, people being bold and brave. Uh, will I personally buy an England? I will buy one for my son, absolutely, uh, George. I am, of course, independent as the chief executive of a global sporting <laughs> yeah. tournament, but I will buy my son an England shirt to add to his England and Great Britain collection. Uh, and a final question that I, I ask uh, every every guest on, on this weekly podcast is uh, lessons from rugby league that you've kind of taken from the sport and has served you well in, in life. You know, we've had some great, you know, comments on adversity and teamwork and, you know, connecting and values. What During your lifetime working in as an administrator in rugby league, what, what's the sport, John, taught you that is, is kind of set up who you are and serves you well in, in your wider world? I, I think probably three, three quick things, George. Number one, how the athletes prepare. And I think there's a lot of that that then we can take away. I'm an administrator, so I will look after my body, uh, try and look after my mind, try and train in terms of the way I'm preparing to execute my job. And, and I think I, I am in awe of anyone that steps on the field of uh, play and puts the body in the line and does that. But they, they do that by desire and by determination. I think the second thing is humility. We both know uh, Kev Sinfield very well. I would describe him as the most humble person I have ever met. And working with Kev and other people, humility definitely is uh, a wonderful attribute. And I, I 
again, I'm in awe of people like that that can um, do things, um, not just uh, human endurance, but the reason why people are uh, doing and putting themselves through those things. And then the third one that talks about it already is just being relentless and, and that level of determination. I think the sport is pretty relentless, uh, George. I think some super people in the sport that have been relentless and without their determination, the sport wouldn't be half as good as it is. So uh, they're, they're the three sort of things that I would point to. John, I've loved uh, chatting to you on this episode. I really appreciate the time you give me as well and the very best of luck for the, the coming couple of months and then the five weeks that lie ahead. My pleasure. Thank you, George. Uh, John Dutton, this week's big interview. And we'll be back with another same time next week. Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com. So that was the chief executive of the Rugby League World Cup, Mr. John Dutton, in uh, in pretty good form, I thought, uh, speaking to me for the podcast this week. He's he's had a hell of a ride, as you can uh, as you can work out from a few of the things we discussed there. When he when he accepted the role and plunged himself headfirst into it, he wouldn't have expected many of the obstacles that were that were thrown his way. He's navigated them so far, but uh, where will we be at the end of the tournament? Well. We hope in a very good place, both with with England's performance and those tickets that that John and the Rugby League World Cup team have to sell, 750,000 of them. So times by three, really, what we've got already. Uh, Josh McAllister, Love Rugby League's reporter, joins us uh, as always. What what did you make? What stood out for you listening to to John Dutton, the the, the main man of this big tournament just just eight weeks or so before we, we see our first game? Yeah, the main thing that impressed me is you, you don't realise the amount of work that goes behind it. Obviously, we're seeing the advertisement, the marketing from the past couple of years, but I think he discusses in the podcast, you know, he's been behind this project for seven years now. Seven years on the same project is massive. I didn't re- You just don't realise how much work goes into it. So hopefully he gets his rewards come October with those ticket sales. I think he says in, in, the, in the podcast they've sold 250,000 tickets up to now. So big boost, hopefully, you know, we were saying just before we press record that a lot of fans at the minute will be focused on their clubs. There's a lot of talk of the playoffs, relegation, who's going to win League Leader Shield. Once that sort of dies down, once the season's completed, with hopefully there's a massive buzz and a massive push around World Cup. And I think there's even a, more of a buzz about the World Cup in recent times than the past couple of months because of players are talking about it. We've got big names like Josh Papayili and Joseph Paolo talking about how they, they want to commit to Samoa and they'll play for Samoa. Having big names like that talk about the World Cup just generates this massive buzz. Yeah, I think there's a certain element of, of patience um, in in terms of expecting expecting a a late rush of interest. Uh, John Dutton said to me in a previous call, I think they've held back something like seventy five percent of their advertising budget for the last five or six weeks in the run up. So you know, we're talking about September, basically. You know, in a couple of weeks' time, that money will start being spent. So that noise, you would imagine, if they spend it wisely, will will only get louder. Um, the big names talking about it helps. We, we've seen that. And also, I think the end of the season, I think Channel 4 are doing a lot of the playoffs. Uh, it's certainly, the highlights will, will be on terrestrial TV uh, alongside uh, the Super League show. I think that's how it's going to work. So I think that will help. Certainly, there'll be a buzz, you would expect, or you would hope, around the end of season playoffs. And then the conversation of, oh, well, actually, we've got a World Cup over here, have we? Oh, yes, I didn't know about that. Go and find out about it. And, you know, Get your wall chart out, find your local game and go along and help to help to hopefully fill the stadium. I'm looking at my wall chart right now and yeah, it does look appetising. Uh, it's 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 one battle for John and his team selling the tickets and then the other battle is, is getting the home nations as, as strong as, as can be, which we, we didn't really touch massively upon with John because he's got absolutely no influence on that. But, it, you know, our previous guests like to Alex Wormsley, Sam Tompkins, really talking up England and uh, and even as the days and the weeks go by, you mentioned a couple of names. There. We're seeing more and more names uh, commit to to other nations. So, yeah, so so the hope would be that that you know that excitement around it does build. And I think I mentioned uh, the cricket, the one hundred in in the chat as well, and that's been interesting to see because that's a, a relatively new concept, isn't it? And that seems to, for whatever reason, have captured the public's imagination. So so why not rugby league, uh, and why not this this competition? Uh, we just hope, we just hope so, and, and we hope that the, that the product delivers. But 
it, every time I talk to John, it, it, it is fascinating. Like you say, Josh, of how much work goes into a tournament that it's going to be blink and you miss it. John's been working on this for years and years and years. And five weeks after the first game, he'll be sat in his front room thinking, right, well, now. And it's bizarre. I'm it's sure bizarre he'll, to think I'm sure he'll it. celebrate it, won't he? I'm sure he'll have a big celebration. I'm, I'm sure at the end of those five weeks, in somewhat relief and in celebration that it's done, it's over, and hopefully a success. And all pressure on England. I think England need a successful tournament to help boost the profile of the sport in England and the UK. Yeah, yeah. on that, and on, on a bit of a tangent, we'll come back to, to John, but, but just because you mentioned England, uh, I guess the other news story we should discuss was Chris McQueen saying, I'll answer my phone if, I, if it flashes up and it's, it's Sean Wayne. Uh, as a rugby league fan, what, how would you rate the chances of that happening? And, and should it be a call that Chris McQueen should expect? Yeah, but it's, it's, come, across, it's come about, hasn't it, because of Victor Radley. Uh, he wants to. He's committed to England. He wants to represent his heritage. So he he mentions he he talked to the official rugby league World Cup website and he mentions look there is there is a chance for us us blokes with Aussie accents. The only difference for me is Victor Radley has gone out his way and he's called Sean Wayne and he said look I want to play for you. I don't think I think if you're going to be like that I don't think I think it, if Chris McQueen wants to play for England he's going to have to call Sean Wayne. I don't think Sean I think there's only one person Sean Wayne will ring and that's going to be James Roby. <laughs> every week until the <laughs> tournament kicked off. Otherwise, I think if you want to commit to England, you need to be ringing him and saying, look, I really, like Victor Adley did, you, describe your reason in, why you want to do it uh, and commit like that. I don't think Chris McQueen will be getting a call from Sean Wayne. I think it's got to be the other way around. And I, I'm, I'm up for it. I think he's been, he's been I think he's the top, top try scorer for a forward in the Super League competition. I think he's got 14 tries. Lance Todd Trophy winner. If he wants to commit like that, then there's, it's a bit like Jackson Hastings He's obviously talked about wanting to play for England, but I think these kind of players, they, like Victor Adley, need to ring Sean Wayne. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a really good point, actually. The And the conversation between Victor Adley and James Graham on, on his podcast, which we referenced last week, was was really interesting into the mindset of Victor Adley. Once he'd made the decision, it was just him and his family. And then the next, or the number one phone call he had to make was, I've got to ring Sean Wayne because he's not ringing me. So I need to tell him the decision I've made, why I've made it, and then ultimately, it's up to up to him how he responds because he could he could just come back and say, "Well, that's nice, nice Victor, but I've got my squad, mate. I, d- I don't care." But he was blown away, I think, by by how Victor Andy spoke from the heart, and he kind of won him over in that phone call. So you're right, Chris McQueen will have to do exactly the same. Would I, would I have him in the squad? Yeah, of course I would. Is he one of the best forwards, back row forwards that England have available? I would say yes. Uh, you know, even in defeat against Salford, I think he, last week he was one of Huddersfield's best players. Scored that great try. So yeah, but you're right; he, he absolutely has has to make that phone call. Um, j- just popping back briefly to, to to this week's podcast on on John Dutton. I think the other thing, or the other two things, I should say, that stood out for me was, and, and it's always really interesting when I to to administrators, and I'm hoping Ralph Rimmer will come on the podcast in the not too distant future as well. So that'll be a challenge because. Uh, the likes of John and Ralph are so well uh, versed and rehearsed in what they have to say publicly. And obviously my, my style of interviewing is just forget the camera, let's just have a chat. But they're very, very knowledgeable that the, there's a microphone on. So there's, there's still that little barrier there. But there were little glimpses, weren't there? There was, you know, the, the PR stuff you would expect John to say and that he does so smoothly and so silkily. But then the glimpses into the person who has actually really, really struggled during the last few years. And the two things I think that stood out for me listening back um, to that half an hour with John, which uh, I was really grateful that he gave me this week, were on International Rugby League saying, uh, what's his phrase? It's the Achilles heel of, of Rugby League. The, the international calendar is the Achilles heel of Rugby League. And I think that was quite enlightening for one of the leading administrators in International Rugby League to come out and say that. That struck me. And he's right, of course because you can't, it doesn't matter how good a Rugby League World Cup, how strong a tournament is, if there's nothing in between for you, you know, what's the point? Um, so, so that was quite telling, I thought. But also the other one is how close he came to just knocking it on the head and going and doing something else. Because when it all came shattering down, you know, collapsed around him when Australia and New Zealand said, we're not coming, citing COVID as the reason, which obviously was a reason, but I, I think that was that was quite handy for them at the time because they didn't want to come anyway. You know, John would have walked. John 
John was like, he put so much in. I was like, well, what am I doing this for? This is, you know, this is my life as well. And it was interesting that it was actually his family that persuaded him to keep going rather than him persuading them that, no, I'm in this for the long haul. Um, but that was that was quite an insight into into the human being who must have been despairing at, at what was happening around him at that time. Yeah, because then he's got to retain and gain more motivation to put on an even bigger show the year after. I think, did he, did he discuss contracts as well? Because it not only his contract would have expired, he, he has a, he'll have hundreds of staff. That contract would have expired and at the end of last year, thinking the World Cup. So then you've got to go and negotiate with all these people and extend the contract and hope that they want to stay on. Otherwise, then you're recruiting from more and new people. I think he discussed that yeah, well, podcast. He, he, he built an entirely new team, basically. You know, all the money and the budgeting they did was for that team to deliver the World Cup. And then a lot of that team disappeared. There were some that, that stayed, but basically had to rebuild again and do it twice, uh, building up to the same tournament. It, it was a fascinating insight into, you know, as fans, we just look in the calendar and think, oh, we've got four or five weeks of um, world football, you know, for the World Cup or World Rugby League or international, this and that. You never really stop to think about how someone has to make that happen and what it takes to deliver a tournament. So although that side of it was uh, was really interesting, and I think we'll see more and more World Cup stories now building up to, to the tournament in about eight weeks' time, not least on Love Rugby League, <laughs> because our man Drew Derbyshire loves cracking out a World Cup story, doesn't he? How this team might look and how this team might look, and I actually find them really interesting because you read them and you think, if that is the team, that, that strongest team they put out, <laughs> they could beat England. <laughs> Every well, time I see one, I was thinking... Blimey, that's another team that could beat England. There's a big there's a big chat in the office at the minute, even for that opening game, more and more players are committing to Samoa. So it's making that opening game for England that, that all all the more, more, much more tougher because of the players that are committing to it. And I think Tonga went out today. Uh, I think he's he's done most of the most of the Pacific nations now. I think Australia's yet to come. I think he did New Zealand as well. Uh yeah, having those big names does does make a buzz. And even even the smaller like teams like Wales. Uh, you can see players like Brabham Best, who was NRL centre in Scotland, you've got Ewan Aiken, and even the likes of Lachlan Coot, okay, it's, it's good to see those players sort of commit to their heritage and really do make a, make a difference and add a boost to those smaller teams that aren't so known for rugby league. And Richie Myler committing to his Irish heritage, of course, uh, the most recent one. Uh, purely because we're talking Rugby League World Cup and I've got my wall chart in front of me, I, let, let's just... Remind our listeners uh, some of the key dates. It starts on Saturday, October the 15th. We're talking the men's tournament, of course. We, we shouldn't neglect, as, as John did throughout that podcast interview, the wheelchair and the women's tournament as well. And the women's tar- tournament starting on the 1st of November with England, Brazil, and finishing with the final just 18 days later. So quite a short tournament. Similar for the wheelchair, which starts on the 3rd with Spain, Ireland, and, and England, Australia, the doubleheader at the Copper Box Arena, finishing with the wheelchair final in Manchester, uh, at Manchester Central on Friday, the 18th of November. The men's tournament runs from Saturday, the 15th of October through until Saturday, the 19th of November. So a five-week tournament. And it starts uh, with those two games, England-Samoa at St. James's Park and at Headingley, Australia versus uh, Fiji. And actually looking at that, it'll be interesting to see who goes to watch England's first game up in the North East and who thinks, actually, I quite fancy that in Leeds, that Australia-Fiji game in Group B. Yeah, some some massive games and well, an extra shout out as well. PDRL, their, their World Cup. I think Adam yeah. Hills hosted the draw on the, his Channel Four program, the last leg. So a shout out to them. I think is it their ever first ever uh, PDRL World Cup. So all, all the best to, to all of them. Hopefully they get a, a few viewers, a few spectators watching as well. Uh, yes, and it all builds towards that uh, that final at Old Trafford on on the nineteenth, and then the previous weekend, the semi finals Friday night at Elland Road and the Saturday at the Emirates in London. These are the kind of stadiums, certainly the St. James's Park and the Emirates, that I look at, and I go back to what we were talking about at the start of this chat about ticket sales. They're the ones I think, how are we going to sell that out? You know, the big football stadium, how are we going to sell that out? Old Trafford, of course, Manchester, big football stadium, but it's the final. So you would expect to, to sell that out. It's some of the other big ones where you just think, wow, that, that's a big task for John and his team. The biggest task may be St. James's Park because you want that opening game to be a sellout. You want it to look good for the cameras. You want it to look good for the fans inside. So that game really does 
kickstart the atmosphere and the vibe for the rest of the, rest of the World Cup. So, yeah, all, all pressure on, on St. James's Park. Put you under pressure here, George. If you had to pick a team that's going to win the Men's Rugby League World Cup, who are you picking? Uh, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be boring and probably say Australia. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it comes down to who wins that Australia-New Zealand semi. They, it's the semis they're going to meet, isn't it? I think. Uh, um, I think I think that's the winner, but I do think there will be a story amongst the 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 island nations. I really do. Uh, if you ask me to say are England going to win it, I'm going to say no because I've been Mister Negative all along, and I'd be more than happy to be proved wrong that way rather than say they're going to win and be let down again. That's the way I, that's the way my mind works. <laughs> I've still not I've still not get got over Kevin Sinfield slipping in the line for that that try in 2013. And I was commentating at the time, and I just, I just couldn't say anything because I was so gutted. So it's still a hard break now when you see it, isn't it? Sean Johnson's step left, right, over. Uh, it, it was just. I don't want to dwell on it, but we are dwelling on it. It was, it was not only because, not only because. In the match, what the fine margins were, but because it was Kevin Sinfield, you know, Mister Perfection, and it was him. But also the fact that England had been brilliant and they didn't deserve it. You know, if, if you're leading a game fortuitously and that happens, you just say, well, fair enough, they were the better team. England were the better team. England were brilliant. England did absolutely everything right um, in 2013. And for that to happen, it's just not fair. And it took me a long, long time to get over that. And then even four years later, there was the next talking point with, with that ankle tap on Callum Watkins. Yeah, I see... I, process that one a bit better because that's been kind of the narrative there after the event has been that England were an ankle tap away from winning the World Cup but they weren't because even if he scores a try England could still win the World Cup yeah you know that that brings them level does it I think yeah something like that yeah um so yeah that that was a huge moment but that that didn't stop England winning the World Cup that was a huge moment in the game that could have put England in a really strong position to go on and win that match and win the World Cup but you know that that was that 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 what that wasn't just that single moment like the New Zealand try that lost England the game because there was still a lot of rugby league left in that match. So I, I can deal with that one a little bit better. But anyway, that is the World Cup. That's and the World that Cup, though, isn't it? Creating our memories, <laughs> even if it is, you know, defeats. But it's those kind of memories that that make you want to watch international rugby league and make you want to see England lift the World Cup this year after two two previous tournaments of heartbreak. That's it. That's exactly it. Those iconic moments, even if they're cruel. The Maradona goal, the Maradona handball. You know, you, you probably weren't born for them. Um, but, you know, those those iconic moments where, you know, I can, if someone says 1986 World Cup, two things that, that people say now. So this World Cup wants to be memorable. Yes, as England fans, we want England to win it. But if there are moments like that, where in years down the line, we're as old men sitting on podcasts like this thing. Oh, do you remember, uh, do you remember that in, uh, yeah, do you remember Victor Radley's elbow that he got away with and England won the match by two points, you know, <laughs> something like that in 2022. That's, that's what we want to be talking about. You know? <laughs> so, uh, and the fact, by the way, that we're talking so passionately about it now is, I think is good news. It shows that there's uh, certainly amongst us geeks excitement about it. Um, just any other business then? Actually, one other thing I want to mention from the Love Rugby League website is our editor James Gordon's piece about how many, you know, the double, triple, quadruple headers that we're having and are we overdoing it? Is it a bit desperate? This with the news that the Challenge Cup finally is going back to August, a bit earlier than, than it was in August, but it's back at Wembley, at spiritual home, back in August, the time of year that it, it's supposed to be in norm. You know, from, from my time at the BBC, I know that it's normally the rugby league editor at the BBC who is the, the decision maker in that. So they would have had a lot to do with that in terms of schedules and calendars in conjunction with the RFL. That's how that those conversations work. But the interesting thing is that it's a double header with the Women's Challenge Cup final and a triple header with the 1895 Cup final and then a quadruple header with the, is it the school's final as well. So so four games. Now that that is a hell of a lot. We we had this discussion after Magic, where people, some fans struggle to sit through four. I really struggled to commentate on four the Yorkshire men's finals the other week. Uh, it's it's hard work. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd, a a double header win, you know, women's and men's 
doubleheader final, I'd be up for. I think I just think that's a lot of rugby league on on one day. I know it's all about how many people can we get through the gates on one day. That's that's what it's all for. How 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 many? What's our combined ticket sales for that day? And that, that's the the main selling point. But as a more operational exercise and the state of the pitch, by the way, and you know which fans are going to be in at what point. I don't know. I, I thought it was an interesting piece for for James to write. I don't know what your view is. I I think four games for me is far too much. But we seem to be going down that route at, at every opportunity. How many how many games? Let's make every day a festival rather than spread them out and hope people turn up on different days. Yeah. Good luck to the groundsmen that day. Uh, I know. In August, <laughs> four right. games. Yeah. Yeah. Good good luck to them. No, you're right. We, we do in rugby league like to throw a lot of fixtures and events under one roof, Magic Weekend, Summer Bash, now four games at, at the final. It creates an experience, I suppose, for the the, the whole point of the 1895 Cup is was it creates an experience for championship fans to to go to a big event, a big stadium like that, something that they might never never get to. Um, so I, I am in two minds. I do think Rugby likes to chuck a lot under one roof a little bit too often sometimes. We see with, with Magic and Summer Bash, there is always a debate and then there's always a debate: is there is there enough room for Magic Weekend and a big event for like Challenge Cup with the cost of living and how much it'll it'll cost to go to St James's Park one year one year and in the same year travel to London down south? Yeah, I mean, I mean, two minds. Well, I suppose we'll see. We'll see what the, the attendance is like next year. Whenever we discuss these things, if you talk to someone that goes to the events, they always have good things to say about it. Magic Weekend. I don't think anyone that goes has a bad thing to say about it. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it is. It's it's very much fan orientated decisions like that, right? Uh, where where were you and where are you going then? Let, let's let's wrap up there. I know I know you were at Salford Huddersfield because I was sitting next to you. That was when was that? Was that last Saturday? Saturday, yep. Salford put on a show live on Channel Four. They they they, they were great, weren't they? they? They were great against Huddersfield, and Huddersfield are not an easy team to beat. Um, so Salford keeping up there. Playoff hopes alive. I think they were one point behind Leeds now, I think, in the table. Before that, I was at Warrington on Thursday for their game against Toulouse. It was looking easy. Their first set, Ben Curry broke through. Uh, should have given a pass to, to Matty Ashton, but went himself and didn't score. And you thought, oh, well, if that's how easy it's going to be for the game, they'll, they'll, they'll ease it. Um, I think they went 12 up ahead. And then Toulouse came back at half-time and it got a bit nervy in the ground. Daryl Powell, I've never seen him before, go to the, the touchline, but behalf, just before half-time, he went from the box down to the sideline. He was a relieved man at, at full-time. I don't think they were in the relegation scrap, but I think that win basically make, make, make sure that they're definitely not. Um, so that was my two. Where I'm going to? Uh, I'm off to Huddersfield tomorrow, Thursday night, against Castleford, and then Wigan Toulouse again on Friday. Can't keep away from Toulouse at the moment. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with you. I think Toulouse, I think Toulouse are down. Unfortunately, I've been flying their flag all season, but I just I just can't see them doing it now because because of the you know a couple of big results that that Wakefield have have picked up. Uh, so yeah, I enjoyed that Salford Huddersfield game in, in baking hot temperatures. I saw Featherstone put seventy points on Dewsbury on the Sunday. First time they've done that to a team for a couple of months since Widnes at home and Brian McDermott for once was very very positive afterwards he said it was a an excellent performance and that was good and they had Craig Kopchak back in the side which which was massive for them uh, he scored with his first first touch off the bench uh, when he was back uh, this weekend I'm going to go to Headingley Friday night to see Leeds Warrington uh, the the frustrating thing for Salford and they're so close to that six is that Leeds just keep winning you know they need Leeds to drop points and they just don't look like doing it. Whether Warrington will will back up after after settling their nerves with that win we remain to be seen. I'm looking forward to going going to that one Friday night and then it'll be uh, I think Featherstone are up in Barrow on Sunday, so we've got the long trip on Sunday to to see that one, which is always a, a nice trip. So, uh, so that'll be me uh, for the rest of the week, I think. Take your coat um, to Barrow, no matter whenever I've been, no matter how hot it is, it's always cold at Barrow. <laughs> No, I've refused to get the coat out until at least the end of October. Uh, but we'll see. Right, we'll wrap up. That'll that'll do us uh, for this week. Thank you, Josh. Uh, thank you uh, for listening as well. Tell your mates, get us downloaded, Apple, Spotify, Audio Boom, wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a review if you would be so kind. And we're out every single uh, Wednesday, right through the Rugby League World Cup as well. So uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back with another one.
next week. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Love Rugby League podcast. Know someone who shares our collective love for rugby league? Let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Eager for more rugby league news? Visit loverugbyleague.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.